Yeah, that'd be chapter five. <laughs> chapter five. All right, as you made your way there, let's pause and pray. Our Father God, in humility we come to you because that's impossible in and of itself without you making that possible. So we bring you praise for that and thanks for that. And Lord, we come to you in need. Come to you with shortcomings and failures and sins against you that unless you show mercy and grace would surely suffocate us and we would die. But you are merciful and you are gracious and you do seek to bestow help in our time of need and you are familiar with our weaknesses. And so, Lord, we bring you, again, praise for that and thanks for that, that you meet us where we're at in life and move in closer Lord, help us in this hour to move in closer to you, to abide in your word, which is to abide in you. And teach us these things that we may be filled with hope, that we may be filled with the knowledge that brings us intimately into your presence. Fill us with wonder at the things that cause us to have a childlike hope and faith that will not be put to shame. So, Lord, I ask that you would accomplish these things in this hour. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Paul continues to draw us in to what it looks like or how we should react or hope or wait for the day of the Lord. And there's going to be a, a comparison here in these verses that is often found in the pages of Scripture. There's going to be a hope for those who are children of light, and there's going to be a dread for those who are in the dark. And throughout the Scriptures, this day of the Lord, or in the Old Testament, this day of Yahweh, or this day of visitation, is, is not something that the world is looking forward to. There is spoken of a rescue, a, a righteous right hand to come and bring salvation for his people, but it is also a, a day of trembling for those who are not his people. And it's always supposed to conjure up or bring about fear and trembling in your heart if you are not his people, and then to recognize that there is a day of the Lord that is coming. As a day of the Lord that will make very clear to you where you belong. And maybe there's been a point in time in your life that when you've sat in a service like this and you've heard about the coming of the Lord or the day of the Lord, you have felt fear and trembling in your heart. You've wanted that discussion to end so that you didn't have to live under that, that dreadful expectation or hoping at least that the preacher was not right. Or not telling the truth. And the simplest way to escape the wrath to come 
is by understanding that the one who's coming in wrath is also coming to save his people from his wrath. So the way to move out of that is to become a child of light. And this is, this is what the Lord is displaying to all the universe. This is, I believe, one of the, if not the chief reason for creating the world and creatures like us in it is that he wants us to know all of these great, awesome, wonderful aspects of himself that are contrary to the rest of life. In essence, he wants us to know not necessarily that wrath is coming. That that's, should be obvious for creatures like us. That he's righteous and holy. Surely he wants us to know that. But he wants us to know how he reacts to that which is not holy, which is not righteous, that which has won his vengeance by their iniquities will not have to receive his vengeance and wrath because he is merciful and gracious. He is all these things at one time, all in the same, properly responding as he has decided in his own will to do to each of us. And the glorious thing is that he has made possible, has made um, imminent on his children his grace and mercy. So <laughs> when the Pharisees go out to see John the Baptist in the wilderness, he calls them out as, who, who warned you? to flee the wrath to come. In other words, he has brought them conviction and indictment that they are in that. They, they are awaiting wrath. They are awaiting the vengeance of God. And by coming out to see John, and by the fact that John is saying something, he is making known to them that I am telling you how to flee from the wrath to come. That's why you would want to go out to hear John, or you may want to go out to hear John somehow catch him in what he's saying, like they often did with Jesus. But, it, but an ear that is truly tuned in to discern, to know, a true, uh, an ear that truly believes that, that God is coming, that there is a day of the Lord in which vengeance and wrath will be brought with him, then you are then able to also hear what else is coming with him. A fulfillment of a promise. A fulfillment of a promise to bring us where he is, to bring us to a place that he has gone to prepare for us, and then come again to get us. And so you're pressured, when you hear about the day of the Lord, in two ways. You're either uh, repulsed by it, hurt by it, scared by it, fearful of it, or you're excited for it. You're zealous for it to come. And more and more as the day draws near. Or I guess there could be a third category. Maybe you're somewhat indifferent. Maybe you don't really know what to think about it. Or, or maybe you are assuming wrongly that actually as, as the Lord is gracious and merciful, it's not going to be as bad as he says. 
That'd be a form of universalism that discounts all of the promises of God to visit uh, uh, wrath and condemnation on his enemies and to replace that with something that he doesn't say. There's real wrath coming. And there's real grace, mercy, salvation coming. The most fearful thing Jesus tells us in the Gospels is not to fear the one who can kill the body, but afterwards has no power, but fear the one who can kill and destroy both body and soul in hell. Who's that? God. So we have to align our fears rightly. If you're fearful of this day, you need to press into that fear. What do you fear? What's so scary about it? If you rightly say the Lord, then you need to press into Him. Why is He my enemy? Why is He fearful to me? Why do I dread His presence? And it's because what Ephesians 2 tells you, you are by nature a child of wrath. But if by the adoption to the grace and mercy of God you become a child, then what more would you want than to see your Father? And so I always like to use the day of the Lord to help people investigate where their heart is. What do you want? It's good to sit and meditate on that fact because it helps you to realize that you're either hopeful, in hopeful expectation or in dreadful concern. I'm not in hopeful expectation of the Lord coming because I've done so great. It's quite the opposite. I'm in hopeful expectation of him coming because he promised to take me to where he is. Not based on merit or works, but based on his promise in love. His calling me to come. And so we all find ourselves in the same boat. We, we all start out as dreading the day of the Lord, as we should. But we need to understand that you have opportunity to move into hope. And that hope, like Romans tells us, will not put us to shame, but will present to you and through you and in you a glory that is far greater than your mind or imagination can comprehend. Something far uh, undeserved from you. And I don't wait for that because I've earned it. I wait for it because he says it's coming to me. And so you can be hopeful in humility and thankfulness not hopeful and prideful expectation like, man, he needs to get me away from all these heathens. No. If you're hopeful and humble thankfulness, then you can go tell other people how to flee from the wrath to come. Say, hey, come with me. He's promised me something. And look, I'm no better than you, as Paul says, probably worse. So wouldn't you want to go see the king with me? 
And the crazy thing is, right, that people say no. And surely as they don't want to see him, surely as they remain enemies of his, that when he comes, he will destroy his enemies. Now concerning verse 1 of chapter 5, the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. And I stop here and pause and tell you that Matthew 24 is Jesus telling us about these things before Paul tells us about these things. Matthew chapter 24, until we get to the plot to kill Jesus, until that's uh, solidified with the deal that's made with Judas for the 30 pieces of silver, Jesus discusses these things, discusses his coming, discusses the the instantaneous nature of it, discusses the um, unchanging, no turning back effect of it, discusses the glory of it. And, and in Matthew 24, Jesus also tells us that, I don't know when that is. You don't know when that is. The angels don't know when that is, but it is. And he tells us that it is, and he tells us not when it is, because there's a concern here that we are found in a certain state when he comes. And he's told several parables about how we are to react to the fact that he is coming again. The Thessalonians, some of them, had surely been found just sitting and waiting for his return. Although they knew not the day or the hour, uh, they were convinced that it was soon, and so they sat and they waited. There's a discussion on how to wait for the day of the Lord that does not involve sitting and doing nothing. The hopeful expectation of Jesus' return will call us into his service and into investing as he's called us to invest so that when he comes again, we can present to him faithfully what he's given us to invest that has multiplied surely for his glory. And he tells them they don't have anything, any need to have anything written to them about the times and the seasons because it's going to come so fast and so instant and, and so sudden and, and so many will not be prepared that it will be like the days of Noah, he tells us in Matthew 24. And if you know the days of Noah, right, there's a, there's a hundred year buildup until the flood actually comes. Noah is this crazy old man who's building this monstrosity of an ark that the world has never needed before. And day by day, for a hundred years, he's putting in nail after nail. He's cutting board after board. He's putting on gallon after gallon of pitch. And he is committed to the day of the Lord that is coming. And everybody simply just passes by that like they pass by you or like they pass by this building and assume that nothing is to become of that until the first drop and then the second drop 
and then there's so many that they can't count. And by the time the Lord closes the door in that act of finality, that act of judgment, and that act of salvation, all happening simultaneously in that event, the, the, the banging at the door, the weeping and the gnashing of teeth are surely and certainly and soon drowned out by the waves of God's wrath being poured over those who would not heed his warning. And if you think about the day of the Lord, think about where the warning comes from. It's God. He's telling you, I'm coming. And if you are my enemy, you will be destroyed, much like Satan and his demons. That's their fate. That's the fate of all enemies of God. And I'm coming to make that happen. I'm not telling you when. I didn't even tell Jesus when. So do you want to know how to escape my wrath? Because I would love to give you grace and mercy. And we, we say no. So many pass by those fixtures of God's salvation, which in Noah's day was an ark that was being built, and which in our day is a word being proclaimed, and they pass by, and they don't believe that these things will come to pass. But they will. And if you look at Matthew 24, Jesus himself speaks of how final and imminent these things are. First, he warns them of things that are to come. False Christ will come. People will say, you know, Christ is over there, Christ is over there, Christ has come back and he's over there. And he said, no, that's not how... This is going to work. And he says in verse 27, For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of man. In other words, you won't have to listen to somebody say, Hey, he's over uh, in, in the east part of Kansas City. Come look. No, no, no. This, this is going to encompass the whole world. The event of his coming will be so Evident from east to west, it will shine. His glory will be, it will be not cloaked in anything. It will be let loose. And that glory will be uh, marvelous for those who are his children. And it will be devastating for those who are not. Verse 31, he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call. And they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to another. Verse 36, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of the heaven, nor, nor the Son, but the Father only. But the Father only. At the end of Matthew 24, Jesus tells how if, if, if you are comfortable and believing that the day of the Lord is not near, but is far away, as in not in your lifetime, then there's a certain way that you will treat your life now. There's a certain way you'll treat people now. 
Eternity will be something far off from you. The day of the Lord will be something that's so distant that you won't think about it. <clears throat> you won't need to think about it. And you'll live as though you're only living for this life and not the one to come. You'll be wicked. But if you're convinced that Jesus is coming, and if you're convinced that you will uh, answer to him and to him alone, and if you're convinced that he is going to call for a judgment, both of the wicked and the righteous, if, if you're understanding that he is very present even now, understanding all that's going on in the world, all that's going on in your heart, in your mind, if you're understanding that he is giving you something to do, to invest in while you're here, and if he's going to call you to account for it when he comes again, then that will affect how you live now versus if you don't believe those things. And one thing that the Bible does when you read it or should do is call you to ask if you believe this. And if you believe these things, it will cause you to do and to be and to live something different every day. Not that you'll automatically just get it and be like, okay, I'm automatically living in full belief of everything that's written in the Bible. But as you come to more and more understanding of what he's described and what he's calling for and what he's telling you is going to happen, then the more you grasp a hold of that, the more it will change the way that you live and act and think and invest. And the day of the Lord is one of those great, big um, events yet to come that calls you to believe in it, and if you do, will change everything about the way you live now. Speculation can go back and forth and tell us that the day of the Lord is coming soon, or it can tell us that the day of the Lord is coming much later. I have no clue, and you don't either. What we do know is that it's coming. And the fact that it's coming calls us to something. Calls us to what Jesus calls us to in Matthew 24. And we'll go back and parallel that here again in a minute. So verse 3 of 1 Thessalonians 5. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman. And they will not escape. Do you, do you feel the finality of that? <laughs> that? That when he breaks through the clouds with his glorious clouds, there is no more escape. Tells us in Matthew 24, just like in the days of Noah, people were eating and drinking and being given in marriage, and then what? It did start to rain. Which is evidence that God's promise for wrath came. And, and you didn't escape it by just ignoring the fact that he told you it was going to come. You, you just weren't prepared for it. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. Do you, you can almost follow their thought as they're hearing Paul talk about the day of the Lord. This cry of command, the voice of an archangel, the trumpet, it all uh, descends like such an overwhelming 
massive, powerful, heavy, uh, uncontrollable, um, undeniable event. And it, it's, it's so huge and so big and so massive and, and, and so powerful that, that when you start to hear about this, maybe you crumple under it a little bit and you get a little weaker and weaker and, and you get maybe even fearful when you shouldn't be fearful. And, and so Paul's telling them, uh, you're not in darkness for this to surprise you like a thief. In other words, if you're his, if he's the good shepherd and you're one of his sheep and he descends with this call, And, and, and you know his voice because you are one of his sheep and he's already called you to himself. When he actually phys- physically, audibly makes that appear in our atmosphere, you're not going to be surprised like a thief. You're going to be joyful like a child. You're going to be happy like one of those little lambs in the meadow that's just pouncing up and down. You're not going to be necessarily surprised you're going to be full of wonder and glory and joy so don't be fearful i say that to you the same way paul has is saying that to them that if you are his then take comfort there it is going to be a massive event it is going to be overwhelming it is going to be more powerful than you can comprehend it is going to be um, staggering it is going to be worldwide it is going to be a bigger event than you've than you've ever even heard of or seen with your own eyes, but it will be for you. Because a thief comes to break in and steal and destroy and to take from you, and that's not what he's saying. He's coming in to get you. But for those who do not, who do not submit their hearts to him in humble adoration, it will be a sudden invasion. And they were told. And that's the sad part, is that we can go on believing that this won't happen when God says over and over again, this is going to happen. Everything that God has said up to this point that was going to happen has happened. 1 John 2.8 Speaking again to dear brothers and sisters to bring them heart. At the same time, it is the new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. He goes on to have a discussion about if you hate your brother, you're not in the light. In other words, he's helping them to test their hearts to see if they are these children of light. And verse 5, For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. Therefore, if you've examined your heart, if you have uh, testified, if your spirit has testified with his spirit that you are children of God, then if you're children of his light and he's bringing, coming in that glorious light to push out the darkness and to do away with it, then what are we Afraid of. I'm not just talking about afraid of his coming. I'm talking about what are we afraid of, period. If he is literally 
coming in glory to extinguish and to, and to destroy all that which has come against him and his people, then what are we afraid of? And if we do, going back to how we believe and apply these words that we read, if we do believe what Jesus said about whom we are to fear, then what are we afraid of? If we're children of light, then we're children of his, then what are we afraid of? I'll put it another way. What are we worried about? That's a hard one. You know, it, 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 you struggle. You have bad things happen. You do bad things. And these discussions from Paul to the Thessalonians are meant to bring you an utter, unrelenting, and imperishable hope that all of that gets destroyed, pushed out, pushed out of you, pushed out of the world by the power of God who is coming. And that gets replaced at his coming with a new heaven and a new earth and an eternal, imperishable, immortal body and soul that is fully enraptured and engaged with the love of God so that it has no room or presence of sin left in it. So if this all seems like a bad dream sometimes, or like a nightmare, or like just I'm living in a Job type of existence, which none of us are, I assure us, uh, there is a day which equals for those who are children of light, hope. Hope. You guys know John chapter 1. We know who Jesus is and where Jesus was from before the beginning, how everything was made through him. And then in verse 4 of John, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And I can add to that because Scripture does, the darkness will not overcome it. So the contrasts here are light and dark. And those can characterize you. You want to live in the day or you want to live in the night? Here's, here's the thing. If you want to live in darkness, it's because you don't want to be uncovered or exposed or naked before the eternal, righteous, holy judge. You don't want your deeds exposed. But those who understand that even though I am exposed before him, he can wrap me in mercy and grace and righteousness, he can clothe my nakedness, will allow themselves to be exposed. This is the difference. You want to keep hiding from him? It's, it's as silly as Adam and Eve trying to hide from him in the garden because they knew what they did. They knew they were naked. He knows where they are. He knows what they've done. So why wouldn't you let him speak to that, help you in that? Because he started with Adam and Eve and he does it today. He clothes us 
when we are exposed before him. There's a wonderful sermon that you should look up on YouTube or wherever. It's by R.C. Sproul, and it's on nakedness. It's on the uncomfortability of being that exposed before God. But actually, that's the best place to be exposed because he knows what to do with it, right? In verses 4 and 5 of 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul tells them twice because he knows who he's writing to. He knows them. He says, you are not in darkness, and then we are not of the night or of the darkness. Hope, comfort, a pastoral desire for them to understand that you need to know that the day of the Lord is awesome. It is to be expected, hoped for, awaited for, prayed for. You are going to receive everything that he promised in full on that day. We're not of the night or darkness. This is not fearful for us. And he also says it too because they don't need to worry about when it is. If you're, if you're so anxious about when the day of the Lord is, that may be due in part to the fact that you need to know how much time you have left to do the things you want to keep doing. But if you wait for it, if you are waiting for it with expectant hope, then it causes you to do something. So he says in verse 6, so then let us not sleep as others do. Let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. <laughs> In other words, um, your lawless deeds that you want to keep doing, when do you do those? But if you've been exposed, and if he's clothed you in righteousness, then you know what you're waiting for and working for while you wait. You are preparing for his arrival. We are to help you be prepared for his arrival. That's why we're working for, that's what we're doing, that's how we're living. We are living, uh, awaiting that. The rest of the world is not living in that way. They're carrying out their deeds in the darkness. Listen to Jesus in Matthew 24 again, starting in verse 42. He says, therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had, not, had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would have not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you must also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect, who then is the faithful and wise serpent, servant <laughs> whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time. Blessed is the servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Active, doing. Present tense, an ongoing active. You're, you're, you're engaged, right? 
working, moving, praying, hoping. Those are all actions. The Lord has given you charge of something. He's given us all responsibility with the gospel to live it, to proclaim it, to believe it. To invest it. To invest it in the heart of others that we may see a return for our investment. And then, and then, when Jesus comes to collect from his faithful managers and ambassadors what he has given them to multiply, there will be thousands upon thousands upon thousands of returns on investments. Christians that exist because you were entrusted with the gospel and because you invested it and because the grace of God came upon your investment and multiplied it and it bore fruit. And you will be glad at his coming to present those things to him. So stay awake. Stay alert that he's coming and keep working. Back to 1 Thessalonians 5. Since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. That, that sounds akin to Ephesians chapter 6, where he tells us to put on the full armor of God, and all those different pieces of the armor are representative of, of something about our faith or our readiness or of the gospel. But he only lists two here. The breastplate and the helmet. What are the most vital organs in your body? Your brain and your heart. With one you think and your whole body is directed, given directives by what you see and discern and and how you take in information and and what that causes you to do. One of them uh, sends life out to your body, causes your body to be able to take those directives, right? And so you are supposed to live, have life coursing through your veins by faith in this coming, by the love of God which, which gives you life and, and, and this hope of salvation which directs everything you do to, to work in that direction, to move in hope, to live in hope, to serve in hope of salvation because as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, if we don't have any hope in this resurrection, then there is no hope for us. We are above all to be pitied. But if you have hope of salvation that guides everything you do, that's why it's up here. It says, put on these things. In Romans 13, 14, we hear Paul say, put on Christ. And I would argue that putting on these these pieces of armor is putting on Christ because he is all in all. He is all these things. He's the reason for all these things. He is the purpose of all these things. He is the beginning of all these things. In Isaiah 59, 17, Isaiah 59, 17, listen to him described. He, he, 
put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. According to their deeds, so will he repay wrath to his adversaries, repayment to his enemies. To the coastlands he will render repayment. So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. For he will come like a rushing stream, which the wind of the Lord drives. That's him. So you can put on Christ and you can be prepared for his arrival. You can endure the things you're called to endure while you await his arrival, arrival and while you work and invest in preparation for his arrival. Or you can ignore the calls to flee from his wrath to come and you can uh, try and endure his wrath that is not something that anyone can endure. Jesus himself was crushed by the wrath of God. And if Jesus couldn't endure the wrath of God, how do you think you're going to endure the wrath of God? So these words are certainly a comfort for the church. I couldn't leave it without a warning, a word of warning, because the day of the Lord is imminent, and I can say that, not knowing whether that's coming tomorrow or in a thousand years, because the apostles said that. But also be hopeful. We're moving toward Easter, and with this all closed, we're, we're moving toward Easter, and we need to meditate every year. Why would we celebrate Easter? Why does that matter? Why is that a big deal? Well, that's the biggest deal. That's, that's going to be a time for us to refresh and refocus our zeal, and our desires, so that as we're uh, filled with a world of darkness, we understand the power of the light and the promise of the light, that all of this gets pushed back, pushed back and destroyed, and we who have lived as children of the light, even in the midst of darkness, will receive what he's promised as his children of light. And so these are helpful things to continue to meditate on, not necessarily when and where and how, but on the fact that it is coming. And so where will you be found, and what will be your emotion? Thinking about that to come. Meditate on that for uh, just a little while, and then we'll stand and we'll sing together.